Kwaba. Welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast. By size, we receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be actively involved by tweeting and emailing us for discussion and wanting more information. Today, I'm joined by guest Jennifer Cujo for Sky Blue FC from the National Women's Soccer League in the US. I spoke with a player um, who was part of the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana, who got a scholarship, obviously, to the US and Colorado, I believe. In you coming, obviously, from Ghana and now playing in the US, obviously, in women's football, I think your take and your experiences will be interesting. Um, obviously, to begin with, would you like to introduce yourself and obviously tell us about your journey in football? Um, thank you for having me today. Um, my sure. name is Jennifer Pujo. I was born and raised in Ghana. Um, my, youth, my youth career started in Ghana, played for Azakis Ladies and spent over five, six years uh, playing for the youth team until then I got a chance to play the national team. Um, and the last six years, um, I made the decision to travel and come to America and to pursue my goal and also be able to achieve something else. I started soccer and in the future, I can work with that. And then from there, I just keep going. And now I'm here playing professional with the dream that I had since I was 13. And now um, this year it happened and then now I'm chasing that dream. So focusing and enjoying the game and trying to make an impact and change how, you know, women football in general it is and everything. Cool. I, I definitely want to get into obviously a detailed conversation. Just very briefly, how long have you been playing in the US for? Um, if I have to say uh, um, seven years now, I came here uh, August 2013 for college. And then from there, just been playing some semi-pro league whilst I was in college. And even when I was done, I still played another year for semi-pro before I turned into professional fully. Okay, cool. That's longer than I actually thought. So I don't. I thought you'd only recently began obviously playing football in the US. But obviously, when we began the conversation, I can hear the US accent um, in your voice. I can hear it in your voice. So I was like, um, she must have been there for for longer than longer than I thought. Um, obviously, our conversation off air has been primarily obviously about women's football, and that is pretty much what I want to talk about today. Um, mm -hmm. Women's football is overlooked. Can you tell me what you love about football in general? But obviously, women's football and why it's important. For me, uh, the reason I love the game is being able to put a smile on people's face, being able to go out there and play for your family, play for your fans, people that they've been supporting you. And in general, it's just loving what you do. You know, it's like giving God give you that talent and being able to at least inspire the young generation, a lot of people that they didn't have, uh, you know, good equipment growing up and all of that by being able to for them to look up to you and then saying that oh if she did it i will be able to do that no matter how how hard it is and everything that comes with it but you be able to enjoy and make someone happy that's the biggest part for me for of playing the game and also in general like looking at um years ago how women's you know soccer it is it was like way down nobody you know, believes in women's soccer, you know, there's like only a handful of people that are trying to make the game, you know, expand and trying their best to make sure that the, you know, the women's game is brought, you know, is big enough for everybody. And then this past few years, I think uh, the game is changing, but it's still, you can still see that um, it's like, it's not progressing as quick, but it's just like slowly. And then the men's game is always like higher, even if it's a division one or, you know, local division, they're still getting that higher, you know, higher televised and being able to put them out there than instead of like the women's game. So I would think that uh, right now it's time that people need to, you know, invest in women's soccer, you know, take time and just read about it. Don't, don't just invest, understand the game, understand why it's important for women to be also be seeing that because they do the same as amount of work. Men are different. Yeah, we also different, but we all play the same game and we all work in it. We all have the same feeling towards the game. So if they were able to be treated the same way, you know, or provided the same amount of things for them. I think it will, it will be great for, you know, for every country to, to make sure that they did an amazing job, making sure everyone feels the same way and treated the same. Cool. I think you've said a number of things that I definitely want to touch on. So um, I want to um, touch on, I mean, I want to ask my question, which is about role models, but um, you mentioned um, when we first began as to your journey, and I think you were in the U.S., 
about say seven years ago. So you're 26, 27 now, aren't you? 26, yeah. 26, okay, cool. So that means you would have been there from 19. And obviously, as I mentioned, obviously in my introduction, there are a number of individuals that I'm aware of that I've spoke to as well, who have gone through the route of playing football in Ghana, getting a scholarship and then going to the US. I'm interested in primarily obviously knowing about women's football, but how easy, easy or hard it is, I see, and I kind of strained when I said easy or hard, how easy or hard it is for girls stroke women to get an opportunity to go to the US. Is that something that's very difficult, like being in Ghana? Um, so being in Ghana, first thing is, uh, being in Ghana, it's difficult to even being lobbed from other countries, even the local country, Cameroon and all of that for a team or a coach to look at you in Ghana and pick you. Nigerians is way different because they have a big, you know, they do more than just playing in the, you know, they make sure their lake is more expand for other people to see it. But in Ghana, our lake doesn't get that not notification. So the players basically have national team to travel for a World Cup, then other coaches can see them, you know what I mean? And most of them, when they have this opportunity that coaches will see them, they kind of turn it away instead of taking the time to understand why at this young age, you need pretty much education could be, you know, should be your next target before you can go pro. If you, if you, you were born in another country, like you're Ghanaian and you're born in another country, that's different yeah. because you get to, you get to go through your process of academy and all of that and be seen quicker than in Ghana. So for me, for me, my experience was I played under 17, under 20. So there's no professional team. The only team I got was in Germany. I didn't even know much about it, but I didn't go. But I knew if I wanted to be one of the best professional level that I wanted to play, not just any professional team because it's a professional team, you know, I knew I had to get out of the country and then find my way. And I know being younger right now, there's no any agent, any team that will is looking to bring in a Ghanaian players unless you're playing professional somewhere and then they'll bring you in. So I knew going to college not only give me the chance of having education, not just education, people don't get it. It's, it's life lesson. You get to learn more than just going to school and studying a course. You get to know how you can build your life outside soccer and all of that. So I knew going there, I will have more exposure in the training wise, equipment wise, because I'm gonna have all this equipment that will help me be better. Rather than if I stay in Ghana, there's no that equipment that gonna make you that close, you know? So that's the route I took. And then going to university, I was able to understand a lot of things. There's things that are, when I was in back, back in my country, I knew, but I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to stand up for all these things, but coming to school, it gives me the sense of knowing that you're not just a soccer player. You know, you're also a human being outside that. You have to fight for a lot of things. You have to be able to do things when you're not playing soccer. So going to school, I was able to finish school. And then knowing that staying in this country, I get to play different type of game, learn different type of system and add it to my system. So when I'm, I'm able to play the Europe or anywhere, I can, in, I can use what I've learned here to get better. So when I play in Europe already, I have an experience of getting the high standard of game in America and all of that. So I think that's one thing that a lot of people, especially back in my country, they don't take time to understand. They think that if you come to college, your chances is over for playing professional. You know what I mean? It's not over. I know here the rules, how you have to go through to be selected to play here, it's hard. And that's how they've been doing it. It is hard, but you have to work hard. If you're not playing in Ghana, nobody sees you. But if you come here, it's hard to get in there. But at the end of the day, if you can stay and fight harder for it, the, the end result really worth it. Okay, I've, again, I've got, I've got, I've got a few, I've got a few yeah, questions. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna ask the simple ones first. So what did you study obviously when you went to the US? Um, I was studied accounting. Um, uh, I studied uh, accounting. I've always wanted to be an accountant, being able to be my own boss and all of that. So I studied accounting in college. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've seen, obviously, I think I've, I could be wrong, but I think I've seen things of you coaching maybe kids, maybe doing one-to-one -one sessions and stuff like that. I don't know. Is that related to Sky Blue FC or is that something that you've done on your own accord? And is that something that you wish to maybe potentially pursue after your playing career? 
Yeah, um, I've always been coaching. I've uh, not just skyboard that I started. Uh, well, even when I was in California, still playing semi-pro, it's one of the things we do here. We do soccer clinic every year. And when I started doing it, I felt I first I was thinking of how will I be able to explain things to people, you know. But then when I started doing it, everything just come natural using my experience and also learning from the kids. So coaching has been one of the things that I love to do aside. But right now, it's not like my priority. It's like something that I can do off season. If I'm not in season, I'll be able to help other kids get better, you know, train them. And so maybe in the future, I will definitely go into coaching. But right now, it's just something that I do on the side in a way to help other kids and all of that. Okay, cool. And you mentioned obviously your route in the, the US or being able to get spotted can be quite difficult in comparison to Ghana, but obviously it's worth it. Um, I want you to get into that route in terms of what is that process like, but also I want to understand what the process is like in actual Ghana, like, because you said that you played for the under 17s and I think you said for the either under 19s or the 20s. Yeah. So what type of side were you playing for to be able to get noticed to play for the national team? So uh, in Ghana, like here, you, you have under 17, which is normally a youth World Cup. It's big, but it's not that big as it as the, the full national team World Cup, which is, you know, but also with that, it gives a lot of coaches to see you because all the coaches that are gonna watch those games is most of them are from college coaches from America. Okay. You know, and, and I get it unless if it's not like men's that when you see 16 year old, you can a team can sign them because they think that oh they're gonna be next messy, next Ronaldo, you know what I mean? In women, it's just a limit of people that coaches can see them and be like, yeah, but it never happened like that. Like a Europe team will come in and then pick you from another country, like at the age of 16, unless you're playing the academy, you know? Yeah. So at that age in Ghana, for me, when you're at that age, the next thing you need to look into is working towards your, you know, your future and all of that, not just a soccer. I think we, we tend to forget that there's life after soccer. You, everybody loves soccer. It's your priority right now. But also you have to be able to build, build something so you don't have to wait till when you're done with soccer and then you forget what next you're going to do. You know? So under 17, you play that you go to World Cup, you come back. And then if you don't take that next step of being able to travel and then go to school. But meanwhile, when you're in school, you can still come back and play national team and go back. They don't know how important that helps you playing here the whole time you're in constant training environment is great so professional environment for you it prepares you to get to the next level when you go back i'm not saying ghana is bad like there's so much you can do on but most of them there's nothing because they're done with high school they just stay home train and play that's it and playing over there is not bad there's money now money coming but there's still not enough money to take care of you like it's not enough you know so for at the age of 17 to 20, your best bet is being able to experience those, those life outside. Going to college, getting your degree, because you can still come back and play for national team. You, don't, you know what I mean? And then being able to go to school. And when you're done with school, at the age of 20, 21, that's when you know, yes, this time I can, I can go and play the professional I want. That time you've grown so much, have more experience. Then if you don't want to stay here, yeah, you can go to Europe and all of that. But then you still have your degree. Yes. To do that. So under 20 is the same, but they don't understand. And not a lot of people, a lot of Europeans come here to school. They can't play school. If they don't get drafted, they can still go back to any country. But at the end, they've already built their profile with the college here, which sells them to get a team from another country. Where, where, I'm, I'm sorry. No, go on. I don't want to cut you up. It's good. Yeah. That's it. That's what I'm. Oh no! So and where did you get spotted? So did you did you get spotted when you were playing for the national team in this World Cup or? Yes. So for me, my sister was already here playing. My sister played for senior national team. She was here in college playing, and already I told her this is my goal. I want to come here to play professional, and so I was playing at a U20 World Cup, and she told the coach, her coach back then, like, hey, my sister is playing at the World Cup. Watch, watch her. So he watched me and then he liked me. There's a lot of coaches that liked me. So then after that, he reached out and was like, hey, we like you, we wanna bring you in. Then, so my sister was there to be like, help me bring my process. 
now I know how the process works. It's not hard. It's just you have to make sure you pass your classes. And that's one of the things that people mark in my country is different. When you go to school, you don't just have to go to school. You have to make sure you you open to the same way you open to learn soccer and then, you know, love that. Go to school, finish, you know, make your homework and everything count. So I started sending you all my documents from high school. And then they will check it and make sure everything is intact. And then if it's intact, they will they will accept me and then give me I-20, apply for visa and then get a visa and then just come here. And then the process, everything begins. So that's all how it works. But then sometimes because most of the young players, they go to high school and then they stayed home for so long, it kind of shut their time of having the eligibility to play. Because American, they give everybody five years when you finish high school. You can sit at home for a year that not doing anything. But the next three years, it counts towards your degree. They don't want you to 25-year-old coming in and playing with 16-year-old and 18-year-old or 19, you know what I mean? Yeah, they want to pick your, yeah, that year. So a lot of them, I understand that they, um, they sit home for two to three years in Africa before they're like, oh, I want to go to school. And then they can, uh, the rules here will take that eligibility out. So you might have one year or two years. But like I said, if they have all this mind right now, there's a young players, if they can think about it now, and then when they know I'm 17, I can go to school, it will help them better than just sitting there for a couple of years and be like, okay, now I don't have anything. I would want to go to school and then figure that out. And obviously once, once you got yourself into college, once you got the scholarship and went to college, um, I imagine obviously you were playing football at the same time. I mean, when did the, um, let's say the interest come or when did it come time to then, I don't know, play professional? I mean, what, what is that process like? So in American process-wise, uh, there is a draft every year that coaches draft players from top, top schools, or it depends how you make your name out of the national ranks and all of, all, all of that. Yeah, there's some players that sometimes it's hard if you don't go to big school, you know, but it all comes to your performance. It's not like because you're international, you have to be playing big school your performance, your academics have to work. So here, every year they will draft players, over 40 players. So if you don't get drafted, you have a chance to go to tryout, sign up for the professional team's tryout. If you're lucky, you get to be picked. If not, you keep going. And if you know, you can go overseas and play. So that's how it works here when it comes to getting drafted from the professional team here. That's how it works. I think you've explained it very well. I've heard that, um, or I've asked that to be explained to me a couple of times, but it's probably the first time I've understood it in, in its clarity. Um, in speaking with you, I think you are, you, you are definitely an ambassador for the sport and for women's football. I think role models are important for both men and women. The women's game is still, unfortunately, in its infancy in terms of developing. Who did you look up to when you were playing? Um, when I was younger, uh, there was not in my, enough women, even though I know Martin and all of that. But for me growing up, uh, Ricardo Kaka from Brazil was what my role model. Okay. I kind of have that instinct. Every time when I watch him, every time someone says his name, I just have this feeling. And I kind of feel like my style of play matches him. So for me, if I'm going to be looking up to players, it has to be players that I see myself in them and what they do and what I want to you know, be. And also in the women's, I had uh, Alex Morgan from US national team as my for her, well, she was my inspirational. When it comes to that, it's more like hard work, you know, making sure even when people think your ability, you don't have the ability, but you're always willing to make sure everything, you know, you get everything that you want. You always make sure that you prove people wrong. So that's the that's one thing that I kind of look into her. So she was one of the biggest role models to, you know, in terms of that aspect of me being consistent, being able to even if coach is telling you you're not good enough to make it like you still have that person to look up to and see it be like yeah you're always going to prove people wrong so and then since I came to America I started you know watching American soccer and all of, a lot of players so there were a few players that I kind of find interested in they all Lauren Holiday was one of the players too great midfielder that I kind of look up to and also Amanda Henry from France national team she's also one of the players I started looking up to the couple of years ago. So, mm -hmm. cool. And have there been like a long line of um, individuals from Ghana who have got scholarships 
um, from Ghana to the US, or is this something that is new that is coming to, let's say, into into the picture? No, it's been it's always been there. Before I got here, there were a lot of players. My sister was here, Elizabeth Kujo, Florence Daxon, um, Alberta Saki, uh, okay. maybe Dan. So there's a lot of players. I can't even, you know, Prisla. There's so many players that they they came through here. They go to college, but then it's it was different kind of things that happen. And and it's hard here being international. It's like you take a lot of spots. So for for a team to pick you, that means you have to they have to value you what you have. You have to bring something extraordinary, you know. And though all these players came here, they came to college, you, they all fight to get into professional, but it didn't work out. But now they're still working with their degrees. They have they still have life, you know. Some of them try to go overseas and all of that, enjoy that aspect, came back and now they have their, you know, their, their degrees to work on it. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Um Okay, so like just being specific obviously about the women's game, what is missing from the game in comparison to the men's, whether it's financial or structural? And let's talk about the game um, as a whole to begin with before we start being specific about Ghana. Yeah, I think football in general right now, I think they overlooked women because people think, oh, it's kind of like a men's sport, men, men are faster than women, men games is different. And also financial wise, you know, it's one of the, and also when it comes to structure wise, you know what I mean? It's, it's, there's a huge difference in between women and men's soccer. I think one thing that if they focus on and do with like just making everything the same, even if the women's team are not as good as men's team, give them that the same platform, treat them the same. That's how it attracts people to be able to support. And that's how, you know, players also kind of feel like, yeah, we have to do more. We have to work harder than even, you know, the way they were expecting. So when they show up, they're going to give, you know, play the better game. That's how coaches will be able to recruit good players. You know, if they don't have all this financial and then all this structure, if a player, you send in a player and then the place, you don't have it, everything as a professional, how would that boost the player confidence to be able to give you 100% every day? Sometimes it's not just about you need only the love of the game to sell, you need more than that. Players need to be treated like professionals, you know, working is like your job. So you have to be, pre so all these things comes to people that they invested in it, you know. So we're talking resources. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. No, I think no, I think I understand that. I mean, aside, I don't wanna say aside, aside money and television and this, that, and the third. I mean, if you're not being given some of the basic tools to be able to do your job, then it's gonna be very, very difficult for you to perform obviously at the highest level. Um, yeah. I was having a conversation with someone, I think it was last week, and he's currently, I find enough, actually, he's currently working at Tottenham Hotspur as the under 21s women's coach. And the conversation we were having was that, yeah, only in it, it took until the 2012 World Cup, not World Cup, sorry, the 2012, Olympic Games in London for women's football to then be taken very seriously is and gradually over the past eight years there's been a lot of momentum as to English football or British football and now you're beginning to see a lot of coverage on TV and on the radio as well whereas before it was non-existent mm -hmm. what would you like to see oh no no sorry before I mean I want to talk about what you would like to see implemented in the game, but what are these structural and financial issues in Ghana in regards to the women's football? Wow, it's in Ghana, financial is huge. Um, and one thing I feel like this past few years, 10, 5, 15 years, I feel like they, they've seen the problem, they've heard about the problem, thing that I just like, I feel like maybe they're not taking it, you know, serious or they not they overlook the women's and then doing all of that to to make the men's game like a bigger than the women sometimes you just need a little bit of that to even sell your games you know money wise structure wise there's a lot that has to happen in Ghana you know uh we years ago we used to be one of the best countries you know when it comes to soccer skill talent everything is there but how can you have talent and then you don't have the twos to make the talent be extraordinary. You can, you can play, have someone that has talent, 
to play against someone that doesn't even have talent but has every to have all the work ethics to play together they're going to beat you it doesn't matter how much talent you have because they they got everything and they know that we playing for this they provided us this so i'm going to work harder to make sure you, we win everything people that they don't have all of that they're going to play but are they going to play from their heart no because at the end of the day after that they get nothing you know so when it comes to even financial wise it's huge like all these teams need more sponsorship you know at, uh, the FA can seek sponsorship some of these uh, companies like these club teams maybe they don't know how to you know attract customers and all of that there's always people that they can help teams to attract that and also let's say if men's team have women's team that would also help too maybe they can use the same brand as for their women's team too if it, they don't have the same team it's also okay for the country to help, especially the FA, to help to find a way that they can help and make sure that every team can, can support their team and every team can provide anything for their team. And that's the only way that you can also bring in players, not just for Ghana, other countries, to come in and then make the game bigger and make the, the women's game bigger. So. Okay, so what's the difference between the men's football and women's football? So for example, if I just use Hearts of Oak as an example, obviously I know they have a men's team. Do they have a women's team? They don't. Okay, cool. And um, Asante Kosoko, do they have a women's team? Um, there's a team called Fabulous Ladies, but uh, everybody used to think that they affiliated to them, but it doesn't seem like they, it's like they have the name, but it doesn't seem like it's their women's team. You know, the only team teams that I would say they have women's is Azakas Ladies. They still have women's team. They have the men's team. The same is the same management that controls the, the, the women's as well. And they they try their best to, you know, bring them up. Even now, I can say the women's team are even higher when it comes to, you know, because they've winning a lot of titles. That's the teams I would say they have men and women team. Okay, so where where are these women's teams um, seeking funding from? Um, because, I mean, I don't want to say naturally, but I'll use a British team, for example, let's say Arsenal. So Arsenal have got um, great branding, they're huge, got worldwide appeal um let's say primarily because of the because of the men's football and the profile some of the some of the players have the women's team are doing fantastically well and, if, and i've been honest probably better than the men's team at this moment in time but a lot mm -hmm. of the revenue probably comes from the men's game and i can see why that supplements obviously the women's football um my question really is if women's sides are not attached to men's football football teams also who is supplementing <laughs> the the women's football I would say for um, beginning years ago, when before the, this uh, FA came in, um, I think most of these teams can, it's like their personal finance. And so. maybe you might get uh, something from the FA, maybe if you have a leg, but the rest of the funding is from, I think, personal people that they're actually taking care of their teams and all of that. It's not like any sponsorship at all. I don't know how they, uh, I know our team, Ankur Nab, I think he's one of the biggest businessmen. So I guess he knows how to, you know, take care of the players. Other teams, I don't know, but this, this kind of year, uh, since they have a new, um, even when Kosiantich was there, they tried as much as possible, but it was still not like the FA founding in a sponsorship or anything. But now looks like that new FA is trying is best to bring funding for both men and women and pretty much even the women so that it's like every year when you have a team, they're gonna you have tournaments. They're gonna give you this amount of money to take care of your team and all of that, which is something that they're trying to do now. Um, yeah, but also you, you can do all of that, but I think the biggest thing is um, the development, you know, what can you do to help these players go beyond just Ghana? you know, being able to be seen out, what kind of type of legs that you need to have for them to improve. And, you know, it's not just like I'm in a team, they have to improve, you know, those are the measures that needs to be taken so that these players. Mm -hmm. So that's where going to finish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I'm just saying, yeah. So now the, the new GFA is trying their best to make sure they can help bring in more money, but it's, I just don't know how it's gonna, you know, how everything is ending up, but I guess they're doing a great job now. Yeah, no, things are very early, obviously, with the new um, the new management, obviously, brought into the Football Federation. I want to move them. I do want to I do want to speak about them, obviously, very briefly, because from what I have seen, they are making moves in order to 
um, ensure each side, whether it's men's football, women's football, and also youth football, is well-funded in regards to obviously taking the game forward, obviously in the present, but also in the future. What, what generational issues have existed before? Because from my point of view, um, if, I'm being, if I'm being honest, but if I'm discussing specifically the men's game, when I'm speaking to individuals in this country, those who have played for Arsenal, Chelsea, what have you, or sometimes, um, obviously I'm based in the UK, but sometimes I can be speaking to kids who are based in Holland, in the Netherlands, and they are asking me, how can I potentially pay for, play for Ghana? And they would see that there's, um, there's a lack of contact or there's a bridge that seems to have been burnt in some way, shape or form. And there's no contact between obviously what's taking place in Africa and what's taking place obviously in the UK or in Europe. But also, depending on who you speak to, there are some individuals, and if I'm being very honest, because I'm not going to shy away from the truth, there are players who play for Arsenal and players who play for other clubs, obviously, across the country, who have said that in order to play for Ghana, they've been asked they need to pay. So we're talking about bribery. And in so, it's kind of, they've shied away from the possibility, obviously, representing Ghana. What, like, what issues or what generational issues have existed? Oh, well, first... I would say, especially in the youth, there's no any youth soccer. Maybe the men's have a youth program that there's like a youth clubs that the men's would do, but there's no youth women's soccer at all. That doesn't and exist. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was just only teams that will have, you have younger and older players. They all train together. They play together. There was no under 12 for girls under 15, but the boys, there was under 12 and all of that. It okay. happened. And also... They're talking about playing for Ghana. It could happen. Like I wouldn't lie. Uh, some coaches are different. Every coach have a way of approaching players. How you're gonna make it to the team? But for the women's, for me personally, I have an experience that to have to pay money now. I'm not even gonna pay. Like my hard work. I'm gonna work hard for that to speak. You know, uh, I have an experience that in in women's. You know, since I've played for national team, maybe other people have. They have, but I have an experience that. But also. I think uh, if you're looking at the men's side now, you can tell the national team that we used to have is not the same. You know, I'm not saying all the players they have now, they're not great, they're great. But I think the way it used to be, you can just any kick any experienced player and then bring in a new player and thinking it's gonna, because they're playing in the, in the top, a top team in Europe or, you know, they forget that some players, when they're playing in their club and they're performing, it's different because they have different type of players that can, help them get better, you know, and then showcase their talent every time. You have our country, which everybody is different. They don't play the same and they come and then it's just different football. So I think um, one of the things is, especially men's side is different because they're always bringing in new players. Coaches are talking to players to, to switch nationality, you know, and come and play for Ghana. Like you said, some of these players, they come one game and then it's over two games and then, then they don't call them back. Three games, you know, but I get it. If the, there's the players are a lot, you can let someone switch national team and then one game it's over. They switch it for reasons. Like give them that a year or two, three years, that, that time. So at the end of the day, if they don't prove themselves, they know that they got a chance, but they screw it up. You can use one game, you know, two games, three games to, to assess a player. And then the next, you know, the next one, you bring in another player. And for the women's side, it never happened. We have talent. There's so many players that are born Ghanaian, right? We've never had one of them uh, to come and play for Ghana. The way they're sending coaches to go talk to players and all of that, they should do the same for the women's too. Because we have the talent doesn't mean the players are in Ghana are the only talents we have. There's so many talent. Players are not playing for other countries. Go talk to them. And when you offer them that, you know, that trust and everything, you have to honor that, you know, bringing someone in, make sure the roots, like everything that they're going to come, everything has to be professional when they come, you know, the way we do everything has to be professional, the level, the training and everything has to be professional, but we don't get that. So the same players that they play every time, younger players, you know, and then also times that we have to train, uh, you have a tournament and then you have three months to prepare for a World Cup. How does that work now? International friend is one or two. That's not enough. 
you know, even qualifications, you need international, you need that experience, you need that exposure to build your team. You can't play one or two games ahead of your, your a game next month and thinking that's going to help you now. And give, give me give me a, a contrast and comparison, obviously, with your current situation, obviously, in the US, not even your current situation, with where you are in the US. Obviously, I know women's football in the US is huge. In fact, the, um, the US women's national team are, let's say, the biggest in the world, if not one, one stroke two in terms of ranking. So in being where you are, what do you see which which encourages you and excites you, but at the same time, you would like to see for your counterparts obviously in, in Ghana? For me, the professionalism that is here, you know what I mean? Even, I don't wanna go back to all the time talking about college. If you wanna yeah. go to college, the D1 school, the professionalism is crazy. It's, they treat you, they do everything like professional based. So when you get to that professional level, you know the, the, what they're expecting from you, you know? Here, the professional level is amazing. They know we're working for them. They treat us as professional. They give us what we need. You know, we have psychology, we have doctors, we have all of that. We need all these people, fitness trainers, you know, performance trainers to know that the player is fit. Fit doesn't mean showing up and running. You can run and do all of that. There's some players that mentally, they're not strong. They're mentally, they're not there yet. They deal with a lot of things. You don't have anyone to talk to. If you players can share that, how would you know if the player is really great to play? You see the potential, but they play a game one or two and then they're exhausted. Like they're not the same anymore. Doesn't mean they suck. It's just because there's so many things that goes on that they can't, they don't have anybody to talk to. That's one thing again we need now. When we have the women's team, we need we, we need psychology people, you know, we need a performance trainer, we need all these people to help. But we don't have that. In Ghana, so and then the professionalism comes. We've seen, or I've certainly I've seen um, in the past, say twelve months. There's a number of the independent academies I've seen in Ghana, to which have, I'll be honest, elevated the game of some of certain individuals, and they've been able to go from Ghana into Europe or Ghana to the states, and so on and so forth, and potentially even into the Far East as well, where they get to possibly play football. And that's come from private investment, independent academies. Do you feel a lot of private funding is needed in order to take Ghanaian football to the next level? Or do you believe that's something that the Federation should be able to do also? Well, um, sorry, just based on your experience, and sorry to cut you up. The reason why I'm asking these questions is because I've not been to Ghana in many, many years. So a lot of the stuff that I see is, truth be told, from YouTube, hearsay and discussing things with people, or again, obviously having conversation with people like yourself. But I like to have these conversations. So A, obviously I build up a, a better idea of what's going on, but at the same time, I get to feedback to the, the wider public as to the situation. So everyone has a broader understanding rather than they think this is going on or they think that is going on. Um, I would say, so even the private, like we have Right to Dream, we have, we used to have Red Bull Academy now, it's like a waffle. Um, that's just not enough. Um, and if they have a lot of that private, I think you can see like Right to Dream now is one of the best academies, like they're producing players all the time. You know, if we have more of that, I think it will help, but also they have to invest in the grassroots, all of that, you know, the youth games and all. I think that's also going to be one of the big things because not every player will get to play their private, you know, teams like the Right to Dream. So we still have all kinds of leagues for all those players that they never get picked. They might be great, but they didn't get the chance to play for Right to Dream. So if they have that competitive level for everyone in the country, I think it would be enough to produce a lot of players and knowing that even if they didn't play for a private team like a Right to Dream, there's still talent out there that they can, you know. So it would be uh, difficult to, to invest in those kind of things too. Cool. Um, so truth be told, I think it needs to be matched. So at this moment in time, based on what I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of Actually, let me take that back. Not to say that no work has been done as to the Federation putting in resources, because I know that takes time. It takes a lot of time. A lot of the structural things need to be put in place before you start spending money. Obviously, and a new administration has just come into, um, come into play. So I understand that takes time to put things together. But based on what I've seen and based on what we can see at this moment in time, a lot of private investment has been made. So we mentioned Right to Dream. Obviously, you mentioned um, Red Bull. And obviously... We've known, obviously, of, um, we've known, obviously, in previous years, other professional football clubs, obviously, in Europe have invested back in Africa as well. So 
I think ideally you want to get a balance of, of the two. Yeah. What measures would you like to see in place? So is it a case of literally creating sides? Is it a case of um, putting together the structures for the leagues? Is it a case of ensuring that the that there's football pitches? Um, is it a blend of all three or is it a case of one needs more attention than the other? I think all of them need attention, especially even pitches as well. Like every team should have a pitch, not just any other pitch, you know. Every team, they should have, every state should have maybe a lot of pitches that they can use if there's more teams they can use on as their own. And like you said, other things too, like they everything is not just one thing that needs to, needs to change more. Everything has to change. Even they should have a huge programs like youth um, legs that you know you can other teams can recruit from the uh, you know certain age groups so that other teams can recruit from there as well because you cannot just have only one team and then everybody just pick from there you know what I mean yeah. then how, how do they get more players if there's not you know so it would be good so it makes other coaches that's one thing too because there's not enough promotion players that they go from here to here other coaches kind of find it hard because they're taking care of the players, especially in the women. They tend to not let the players go if they have a, a chance to play in Europe, a team comes in and play for them. They kind of tend to be like, no, the money is small or it's just, oh, this is not the right place for you to go. But I get it. But also it's just because when they go, there's no other player they can fill in that spot. Do you get what I mean? So they feel like they're losing a player. And which shouldn't happen as a team, as a country. Like if we have all these huge games, a lot of uh, tournaments, a lot of cups to play, you can recruit from a division one or division two to fill in a spot, knowing that they're coming in to do a, a great job instead of thinking that, oh, if they go, um, I won't have anybody to play for me. Cool. And affordability is one thing obviously I like to add as well, because obviously despite the fact that I've discussed resources um, as to uh, resources, sorry, and structures, if you've got independent academies, and again, obviously, I'm not too sure of the landscape, in some cases, or in most cases, because obviously it's independent, there are going to be some type of financial um, outlay, or there's going, some, there's going to be some form of attachment, whether it's a kid paying for it or otherwise, I'm not too sure. Um, so it's very important, obviously, that it's accessible for everybody, particularly if it's coming from the Football Federation. Um, last couple of questions. African football... I think is in a place of limbo. I think there are things that are great and I think there are things that need to be improved. In the men's game, we've got great players coming through on the world stage. Obviously, as we discussed, um, we've got Kudis Mohammed, who's recently obviously signed for Ajax. Um, and there are a number of boys coming through. I think recently, I've seen people go to Porto. There's a lot of movement between Africa and Europe and even Africa and even the Far East and other regions, obviously, in the world. Um, and of, of course, there's obviously there's growth in the women's game. I know we're being quite critical of the type of growth, but there is some form of growth obviously in the women's game. Ghana obviously after all obviously made a World Cup appearance. What would you like to see specifically obviously improved, not necessarily in Ghana, but in Africa as to women's football? So like at this moment in time, the type of thoughts I've been having is that in Europe, we're, we're discussing the possibility of a, a European Super League. And I think there are there's enough talent and I think there's enough I believe there should be enough resources to be able to put something together, whether it's for men's football or for whether it's for women's football, as to making a, a, a really competitive competition that a lot of people would like to see. It might not necessarily be 11-a-side football, or it doesn't have to be 11-a-side football. It's got to be something that excites people and people actually want to come and watch. But what, sorry, my question is, what would you like to see? Yeah, I think what you said is definitely right. Like I was thinking there's seven aside games and all of that. These things need to happen. Like looking back to the, compared to Brazil, there was no 11, 11 v 11 all the time. They play small sided games. Every street have the, that. It also helps teams or, you know, people to notice players that they didn't, you know, they don't have that resource to join a team. You can actually pick from that. But first thing, uh, going back to your first question about, um, you know, uh, what they can do as, you know, Africa itself. Like, like you said, there's, there's supposed to be something, not just like you have a World Cup qualification or you have uh, Olympics qualification, you know, there should be sort of all kinds of tournaments, you know, big tournament, like we can have like this UEFA Champions League, we can have African Champions League, we can have different types of leagues that 
it gives players time to compete every single year. So even when they go back to the national team, they're already in a good place rather than just play one league. And after that, it's just like you lose everything that you've worked for. So if there's enough tournaments that around every, either it's the league, either it's for the national team, it actually would make the job easier for coaches to come in and instead of, you know, starting from beginning, teaching players some, to do some things, it also, it actually helps them to come in and be like, they're already ready to go in because already they have experience. They have so much that they've learned that coming in, it will be easy for them to, to just pick it up from where they are rather than not just have only one, one uh, championship to play. So if they keep doing that, if they keep bringing in a lot of, uh, you know, championship or caps to play for, it will help to develop women's game and it will help to sell a lot of things, you know? So, cool. As well as footballers in the game, we've got presenters, journalists, freestylers, brand ambassadors and more. What would you like to see for women's football in the next five years, in Africa or in general? I think uh, when it comes to media side, I think some medias needs to really, really change up their games and really, really make sure even when you're putting up a story out there, you need to have your facts. Don't copy from somebody because, you know, fine, it's good to copy and give the results, but you need to have your facts and all of that. Some medias, like when you are media, you're promoting something. It's not just like we promoted it today, then it's over. It doesn't matter, like, you know, there's new stories comes every day, but you can still promote what you promote a day before you know that there's things that needs to be changed. But if nobody, you know, I've seen it more, you keep promoting and retreating and all of that. But in Africa, media is post one thing and then it's like over because nobody says much about it. They think it's over. Then they jump into the next one and then they keep going. And that is not gonna help because it's like, you, you're not still talking about what it should be done. When you put a story out there, take a, uh, um, a month or two just to make sure that happened, that has been heard, you know? And if they can do all of that, and also when it comes to marketing brand, uh, they have to just know what they have to do to attract customers. To attract customers, it's not just one way talking to them. There's so many ways you can attract customers, right? It's how you interact with them, create something that you get to interact with them in person or, you know, different ways that it will change customers to, to follow your program, you know, product or whatever you're doing. So I think that if they can do all of that, it will help the, to both women's soccer and also even men's soccer in, in general as well. Um, obviously, I, I, obviously I, don't know, I don't know the last time obviously you were in Ghana or the last time you had contact with Ghana. So like in, I don't want to say in Europe, but like certainly in the UK from what I've seen in recent time, you've got women who are now, not, not women who are now, you've got women who are journalists, you've got presenters on television, whether it's Sky Sports or, or BT. I, I think there's a balance being created, which I'm beginning to actually really enjoy, as well as, as well as women, being specific to women, have become obviously brand ambassadors and more. Is that something you see in the US? Oh, yeah, for, yes. US, uh, even players are still playing now. Like I can say, Ali Kliger, Stella Gordon, they're now doing uh, like a, like you said, be, like they've been a, like a sports presenters for, or the MLS teams and all of that. And aside that, a lot of most of these 99 of these professional players are ambassador for companies, you know, helping companies, sharing their stories and all of that. I'm I'm personally right now, I'm ambassador for new set company, it's a protein product for um, it's a supplement to as an athlete and also uh, hydrogen. It's um it's like a, a gun company that is a recovery muscles and all of that, you know. This, all this, not just because it benefits you or you sell who you are, but also you trying to help those people to share that from people that they didn't have all those things growing up. You know, it gives them a sense of knowing that uh, you, they can also grow up, you know, be able to further their professional career. And after that, they can just go somewhere, not just like you're done with soccer, then you can't do anything. Ambassador is huge, but um, in Ghana, I haven't seen that. Like, there's so many companies, drink companies, but they would not use athletes, you know, because most of them, they're not taking time to invest and know about the soccer players or what the soccer players can do. So it makes every player don't even, they don't have that. But then I get it, they use models and they use addresses and all of that. I understand. But using a soccer player at least one or two to, to promote your product, it will be fine. You know, some people, they don't even use African players. You're in Africa selling a product and then you're using a player that is in Europe on your page. How, 
how are you trying to say those players don't you know what i mean these okay. are the little platform they can also give you to play players that they're not at that level to also share their story and then to be seen these little things it doesn't only come from soccer players the people that are you know brand ambassadors and all of that they need to take believe in the players and then use them as well but we don't have that in ghana so cool i think there's a lot of um i've taken a lot from what you said one last question. Um, what advice would you provide to anyone listening listening today as to, anyway, what advice would you provide? I think uh, one thing I would say, if you're a young athlete, or you're not so young, you're grown up and then you're still fighting to make a professional or anything. One thing I would say, you have to first, the first thing is be, be committed to what you're doing and be also surround yourself with good people and also ask questions and also make sure you able to be open to learning. You know, sometimes you get to a point where people think like, oh, we know everything, you don't. You have to keep learning, be a, someone that be a good listener, learn every day, be dedicated to everything you do. And when you get to that level too, it doesn't mean you're done. You need to be able to start, step step up and then help, you know, other people that they, they don't have the same you know, equipment and all of that. Make sure you help people understand and be able to be a role model to other players too. And also one thing I would say, yeah, just education is a key too. You're not just going to school, go to school. And then you kind of, when you go to school, you'll be able to learn about life itself, not just the, the course you're doing. You will be able to understand life and how to approach things, how to be a person outside soccer field. So I think I would say they should just, and also enjoy what you do. If you don't enjoy it, I don't think you'll be able to succeed. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. It's been very, very insightful. Very insightful. Um, I'll definitely be in obviously contact with you in regards to maybe just taking some advice and actually just understand obviously a little bit more about the game obviously in the US, but also in Ghana. Um, but that's it obviously for this week's episode. Um, as usual, we'll be posting via social media, keeping up with the stories as they unfold in the coming weeks. As always, if you've got any questions, queries, Email us at teamgarnereu at gmail.com or tweet or DM us at teamgarnereu on IG or Twitter. Before I say thank you, in fact, would you like to maybe drop your social media handle so people can potentially contact you in regards to maybe any advice or anything else? Yeah, my social media is Jennifer underscore Kaka underscore Kujo 13. Uh, you can follow me uh, on that page. And I also have a personal page, which is for soccer and training drills that you can watch and do it it's it's jc um jkc slash uh drills and slash fitness yeah thank you guys take care and we'll see you in a couple of weeks <laughs>